marketing experience is maybe the first experience that mm. a developer will have, whether it's marketing from a public standpoint or, you know, even, uh, I mean, some internal description of, of the APIs that they use within their company. Yeah, I think that we will see more tools that kind of blur that line and and allow allow people to allow someone to start to learn some of those tools you don't have to go and get the computer science degree or or spend uh you know years in an engineering uh organization to start to tinker so i think there's a lot of movement happening there for sure i am certain that there are enterprises who are attempting to build their own version of that or have built their own version of that kind of uh, internal business user enabler. Hello and welcome everyone to the API Resilience Podcast. Today we're really excited to have a guest, uh, Adam Duvander from Portland, Oregon. Uh, his company is Every Developer and you can uh, look into that at everydeveloper.com and find him on Twitter at Adam D, A-D-A-M-D. And uh, we've had a, an interesting discussion about uh, his business, and I know that it's going to uh, give you some good ideas and good stories. So let's get started. Hi, Adam, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, so, Adam, I yeah, we know each other like as as we said earlier from from the API circuit, which is uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, a, a new thing of the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I know you as that really thoughtful, inspiring speaker that always comes with some really interesting bits of content that um, like your your sessions, I always try to, to attend because there's it's sometimes I feel that in the API space, you, you can get like a lot of either very technical or very uh, vendor or... Um, yeah, like talks that, that are a little bit less interesting for me, at least. Uh, so, and, and you always come with a little, a little bit different angle. And I really like that. So I, well, I thought it would, would be really cool to have you on the cast. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome for me, too, because I'm getting to meet all of Christoph's friends and people that he holds in, uh, in high regard. So, um, And it's great in a time like this where we can't connect. At, I mean, we would have probably seen each other at a couple conferences, in the last couple months, but at this time we're not able to. So it's good to have things like this to be able to connect. Yeah, definitely. absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. So I think you're in a really interesting space because you're skirting the edges of developer communication and business communication and like mixing the two up and you know, and, and achieving real business value as a result from that and like and helping companies with doing that because that's that's something that's really hard. Can you can you maybe tell a little bit more about like what you're doing exactly and, and yeah. how you help companies? Yeah, and the, the being really hard is how, how I've come into how I've come into doing it. So I, I help great dev tool and API companies to reach more of the right developers and we do that with content that educates and inspires those developers and often is the case that marketing can really not resonate just lands really poorly with developers often can have the opposite effect with a developer audience that's uh maybe skeptical or thinks that they're 
yeah, thinks that what you're saying is hype. And so being able to find that authentic voice and be able to reach those devs and, and be able to help them explain how a problem, how, how what you have can solve their problem, but doing that first by, by just trying to show that you understand the problem, which is often the, the spot where, it, you know, marketing can have a, have a tough time. I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's a great place to start because I've seen that quite often with uh, development teams that I've uh, worked with. And um, it's, I I think the reason that marketing sometimes falls flat with them is that developers are in the business of trying to uh, listen to business people talk and cut away all of the BS for a better term to actually get down to what the actual problems are, not, not whatever fancy language. Uh, 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 We we were joking uh, yesterday about synergies, you know, they don't want to hear the word synergies and and things like that because it doesn't mean anything. They want to get down to what they, uh, you know, what, what it means brass tacks. And so I think it's really interesting that you're helping solve that problem because People have to, you know, marketing is is necessary and people have to know that something is out there that's going to help them. And the marketing team wants to help do that. But uh, being able to to do that with an authentic voice that uh, builds trust with the developers is that's a really, really high bar. It's it's hard to do. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you how I ended up here. And well, in one case, I I am a, a developer in a past life. So. So I, I have that, uh, at least remnants of that same sort of, uh, skepticism, right. But I, I was the first editor of programmable web directory of APIs and a news source for everything new in APIs. And I had to look through all of the marketing heavy (laughs) press releases about some new API and had to do exactly what those developers are trying to do, which is pick out the stuff that actually matters and, and figure out where it can actually fit into their life. So it was my job to be able to provide that clarity. And I realized these companies need, like, it should be their job to do that. It shouldn't be (laughs) the editor of a of an API journals job to do that. And, um, and so that's how I ended up first on the provider side and now as a, as a consultant to providers. That gives, that gives you great street cred. I mean, you, you, you've, you've probably seen it all. And how, what is actually the root of this problem? Like, why is it that, because I, I don't think the problem is with marketing per se. I think no. it's, it's this perception in marketing that you have it feels like it's a default in marketing to treat your audience as just dumb a dumb cattle that's just has to be manipulated with all kinds of way too expensive words just it's it's almost like gaslighting that's happening it's, it's like why where does that come from how come that that this is like the way that people think they should be doing it well, I, I think that, first of all, it's really hard to understand some of the underlying technical problems that that a tool solves. And so often someone who doesn't have that technical background has to go to 
the features of it to be able to understand it. And any great marketer will tell you that you should be sharing benefits, not features, but because the benefits are harder to be able to, to get to, it ends up being about sharing, sharing the features. And, uh, I, so SendGrid was where I went right after, uh, programmable web and people probably got tired of me saying share knowledge, not features so much so that finally there is now a website, share knowledge, not features.com where you can, awesome. <laughs> where you can learn about how to do that. And yeah. And so it, it came out of, came out of that experience and that kind of continued drumbeat. And so I have a lot of empathy for, for the folks that don't have the developer background to be able to understand it completely. And at the same time, they have some amazing marketing skills that, that I do not have. And so I try to be that partner that can, can help level them up to the spot where they can, yeah. they can use that voice. Yeah. I was going to say, Christoph, that uh, any marketers who listen to that will take uh, offense at what you, <laughs> what you said. And uh, uh, whenever they make it seem uh, so easy, they're probably doing something really difficult because it works. And um, I, I, if you feel talked down to, then it's, um, you know, they, they've, they've missed with you, but Right. It's it's like I, I bought these glasses two weeks ago. And as you can see, I'm not wearing them right now because I got I got sold onto this bifocal lenses that are like they're called Zen lenses, which are supposed to make your life easier. But because of their bifocal, it actually makes your life worse. So and it's this it's it's just such a missed opportunity because there's so much value that we can be providing for our audiences. If we, if we just, I, I think it's probably a matter of, of vulnerability of being able to say, I really don't understand this. You know, I need help. Like what, why is this good? And so I'm not saying like, you know, there's a lot of good marketers out there that, that are not doing this stuff, but I, I, I think the key thing is that if you're going to be targeting developers, watch out because they can look under the hood. They know what's inside. They know if it's crappy code that you're, you're packaging in, in a ribbon and, uh, and they'll find out and they'll, they'll see that uh, it's not good or that you, you promise this is not holding through. If you say it's going to be five seconds to sign up and it takes weeks, you know, like they already know that you're, you're fake. So be be real and be honest, and and then developers will appreciate that. I think that is that also your experience. And and I think really, you know, one thing to remember there is that the marketing experience is maybe the first experience that mm. a developer will have, whether it's marketing from a public standpoint or you know even uh, I mean some internal uh, description of. <laughs> of the APIs that they use within their company, like there's some level of marketing to that, to how you describe that, how you expose that to them. That's really the first level. And then once they get in there, there's a lot more that they, to the developer experience. And that's going to be the case in a, in a public API, in an internal situation, in a sort of partnership base. And, and that's really the spot there where, 
where it, yeah, it stops being marketing and it is this other blend that includes kind of product and um, technical writing and, and um, you know, a, there's a lot more to that experience that, um, and that's really, you want that first experience to, to be congruent with mm-hmm. the next experience, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of what, what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so we talk um, uh, whenever we're talking with people about dev portals, we point out that you definitely are making a mistake if you only build your dev portal for developers, that business personas need to come there, even if they're technical or non-technical, it doesn't matter. You've got an audience there that you've got to speak to. And I tend to think of this as a bifurcation that, that has to be, you know, you've got to have something there that um, will form the business user's journey through the dev portal and then something else that forms the developer journey. But something that I'm hearing you say is that um, these are often not separate journeys, especially at the beginning and trying yeah. to get that right is really important. Can you talk more about that? Did I get it right? And yeah, I think, I think, you need to be able to explain what to expect from a developer tool or API in a way that connects to the real world. And so if we get to a lot of the work that I do, it is sort of that story right there. Here is this technical thing. Now here are the, the reasons why you would use it. And those reasons are going to be things that resonate with both developers and other business users of, of the portal. And they're going to want to understand that. And I, I saw this at Zapier. So previous to every developer, I worked at Zapier, which connects thousands of APIs together. And I worked on the platform side where someone who had an API would come and they want to connect to the Zapier platform. And we had a a number of discussions and changes to the portal that I actually talked about in a DevRelCon talk about your your dev portal's invisible audience mm-hmm. and it being that non-developer who may still be a technical person. And in that case, we realized that there were marketers, there were product managers, there were support people from all of these different SaaS tools who wanted to expose their tool on Zapier so that their users could achieve <laughs> these goals of connecting to these these thousands of apps. And uh, in that talk, I go through where we had tried to launch a CLI, a very developer-focused tool that that was based on user research that happened before I got there, but was there were definitely people who wanted that really super powerful dev tool. But we learned over the course of a year or more that there was a much larger group that just needed a UI that allowed them to be able to take the technical bits. I mean, using an API is a a technical process, no matter how you use it. 
Adam, and need to be able to connect those. The reason that you saw me uh, smiling and shaking my head is I couldn't believe we got here because uh, this has been <laughs> something that Christoph has uh, been talking about, uh, the democratization of APIs. And with some other guests, we've talked about, um, you know, trying to address the needs not only of, of developers, but, you know, this new emergence of no-code and low-code solutions. Yeah. And um, that's been uh, a rich source for us. And I was going to bring it up later in the episode because <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to say, okay, so we've talked about these two paths that you have to walk between the marketer and uh, uh, b between the business persona and the developer. And what about all these non-developers who don't uh, identify as developers? How do we attract them and give them the right experience? It, because... It, it, it's, you know, they might have a different story. So how, how does it complicate things for, for you or does, does it uncomplicate them? I mean, in the, in the case of that specific example, it was clear that the majority of those users were not going to download a CLI, that yeah. that, that was a non-starter for them. They, uh, they don't open the terminal app, but, uh, I think that I've, I've seen this in API providers starting to add on tools on top of their, their foundation. So they maintain that developer audience. I mean, you see Twilio and Stripe doing this quite a bit, actually, with the, the tools that, um, that require less code, but still have the ability to configure and you know, for Twilio with either studio where you can kind of connect the tools together. So I, I think we see some dev focused companies that are starting to, uh, to ride that blurry line. I think that the underlying discussion of the problems that you're solving is not that different. It's just the application of the API that becomes different. So, so a developer is going to want, is going to need less context around those technical details than another would need, but they're still going to all need that sort of here is the problem and, and here's how you solve it. One, one of my assumptions around this is that basically it's like, um, a gradation scale of less and more constrained affordances. So you have like the, the hardcore API where you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And then like the more pre-chewed it is, uh, like the more you're hiding um, stuff behind the interface and you're reducing the possibilities of failing and doing something wrong. Uh, and you're, but you're also reducing the optionality of, of the integration. It becomes more powerful. It's easier to do stuff uh, for more people. At the same time, like some of the things that are a little bit more edge cases become harder. Is this, is this yeah. also how you see this? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah, I, uh, I hadn't, hadn't quite put it down to those words. But yeah, I think it's definitely the case where, you know, if you're if you're just needing some very common use cases mm -hmm. that, uh, I mean, this happens, uh, happens to me. I, I used Twilio for just a little weekend project recently, and I was able to use more of the, 
the lesser code type of options didn't have to you know find somewhere to host it could kind of use their their tools for that now it was pretty simple send a text message reply with a static message if someone sends a message kind of project so it lent itself to that now if i wanted to have it be more advanced if i wanted to kind of pull the cover off and and look at the at how it works that would require more and i happen to be capable of doing that and not everyone not everyone is so they might stay at the uh at the lesser code level and i think that that's yeah i think that we will see more tools that kind of blur that line and and allow allow people to allow someone to start to learn some of those tools you don't have to go and get the computer science degree or or spend mm -hmm. uh you know, years in an engineering uh, organization to start to tinker. It's um, it it for me it feels like like we've got this new information infrastructure that that is amplifying our ability to do things, both on sensing and on executing. Um, like the way I've, I've referred to it in previous episodes, it's like it's like your nervous system. You have nerves going to your muscles that are like helping you to do stuff and then you have nerves that are subscribing to events and that are telling you when something is happening and that and those capabilities need to become available for everybody um so that more and more people can can take advantage of of this newfound power and uh, that's out there it shouldn't be you shouldn't have to be a developer to be able to do that yeah yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned events and mm -hmm. that's kind of one of the things definitely in my, in my Zapier time, I, I experienced a lot of, so events being webhooks and other ways mm -hmm. of having, uh, having real time data flow, which definitely was a big part of what Zapier wanted companies to do. But, you know, even in, since the earliest days of hearing about webhooks, they're really, it's never, it's never been adopted at the level that it should be. And I think probably needs to be if what you're describing is to come to fruition. Like if there's anything that technical people can do to enable the, uh, the people who don't develop for their job to be able to use more of these tools, I think it is to provide them in an event structure. Mm -hmm so that there's there's less that's required to spin up something that uses it you don't have to monitor for changes yourself you can you can set some i mean you can you can set up you know lambda or other sort of functions as a service to be able to consume and respond to these messages and um and so then i i think that that there will be tooling built around making that easier as well. Yeah. That I think could enable a lot of people. So I'm wondering if you see, do you expect technology companies in mass to start producing these low code, no code uh, solutions uh, to Christoph's point that have, uh, you know, a lot of the affordances, uh, taken away that are built for, you know, majority use cases and things like that? Or do you think that 
the Zapiers and, you know, companies like that are going to bridge the gap because to me, the success of those companies like, like Zapier points out the need for, you know, these, these, uh, other solutions that companies aren't providing. I don't want you to feel put on the spot, but have you seen examples where companies are like, Hey, wait, we should be doing this because, you know, some, some, someone else is, is doing something, wrapping us up in some other solution and really eating, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen a couple of startups that are focused on enabling internal applications. And so that kind of begins to, uh, they're still mostly developer focused, but it's, you know, on the making some of the repetitive things easier. And, and then there are just a bunch of Zapier like companies. And really, if you look at, at the two big ones being Zapier and Ift, they for a long time have been very fairly narrowly focused on specific audiences. So mm-hmm. Ift is is very focused on connected home. And and that, you know, they raised a lot of money and that's kind of, you know, banking on that sort of future that I mean, I think a lot of us probably live in, in in some way. The lights in this office can can be controlled from my phone. So so that you have that direction, um, which is is a sort of consumer user really barely uh, scratching the surface of what you would call code. Then you have Zapier, which is very business user focused, has been charging from almost day one to solve business problems. And all of these SaaS tools primarily are business tools that that people are using. And it's really a set number of use cases. There are some advanced things you can do with code steps and webhooks in Zapier, but for the most part, they haven't gone to that superpower user. Like even there's a large spectrum within the Zapier users, but even even at the most advanced stage, it's not a lot of code. There there are other tools that are trying to fill in that space. I hear people talk about Integromat being one that's that's for uh, for a lot more kind of developer use cases. Um, Pipe Dream is one that's not even in the like they don't. I don't think consider themselves a Zapier like company, but they do have in have connections to to many APIs and it's a lot more code focused. You make that connection and then you write some code to deal with it. And yeah, there are a bunch of others in that space. So I think there's a lot of movement happening there for sure. I am certain that there are enterprises who are attempting to build their own version of that or have built their own version of that kind of internal user, uh, internal business user enabler. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's definitely uh, a direction that we're going and that, that, that would be, you have that use case for public APIs, but there's probably even the maybe larger use case for some of the internal stuff and being able to expose that. So how, what is the interface for that? So I, I like to think of dev portals as the interface of the interfaces. <laughs> yeah. 
So like how how do you expose those? Because it feels like there's two ways or very broadly speaking, there's two ways to do this. One is the distributed way where everybody has to like do their own thing. And there's a centralized way where you have a couple of platforms like Zapier and if that become kind of like the facto place where you go and do certain kind of jobs. But there's probably the truth is somewhere in the middle, like always. Right. Yep. But how how do you expose that? Like, I guess you could say, yeah, we're we're on Zapier on your website. It's it's like I've I've started thinking about this recently that it feels as we are adding more odd like as we are broadening the audience, it feels like the dev portals become something else or they become like an integration portal or something like that. Or and I've been wondering if is is this the direction that this is going? Like we had one customer and they call it a business solution, uh, which is interesting because they do more than it's not just APIs they've got on their dev portal. They also got other things like widgets and and, uh, and yeah. QR codes and some mm-hmm. some interesting things. And and they're not purely targeting developer audiences with that. They're they still put it on their dev portal, um, yep. but they have like landing pages that that are bringing you to that dev portal from mm-hmm. somewhere else. How how is this going to evolve? Do you think? Like, are we are we going to make like the dev portal? Is that going to be like your next website kind of thing, or like mm-hmm. your is or or is this going to be something like you know the Facebook? company page you're going to have like an integration portal company page where you have all your integration points for different use cases or is there going to be like a standard way of of exposing those integration points for different audiences how how do you see that yeah well i mean the short answer christoph is i don't know (laughs) sure (laughs) (laughs) but i i think you're right that there needs to be some kind of some kind of interface and i'm not sure that we've seen it now you you see kind of the the standard workflow kind of list approach um there's the yahoo pipes uh you know dragging of of things together and i'm i'm not convinced either of those is the is the way and definitely for the developer audience that kind of drag and drop you know thing is a little bit of uh it gets a little scary that that becomes the uh, a turnoff for that audience. So if you're trying to enable something that could work for for that blurry line, uh, that becomes that becomes difficult for sure. Yeah, I I'm not sure whether I mean it seem it seems like the so the example you gave with all the different the different things in in what is still called a dev portal feels a little bit like we have this thing called the dev portal and it's the closest to what we have now. Right. So it does, it does seem like there's some, like it's, yeah, like it's begging for, for something that's a little more new that might have pieces of what is in a dev portal. Yeah. But, you know, might also have, yeah, that has these other, that makes more sense for these other things, but it's, that's, uh, (laughs) that's very, you're thinking like a futurist now. Oh, I, I <laughs> this is yeah. my, yeah. that's why I love to talk to Christoph. He's got all these great ideas. <laughs> I think the, the, the tricky thing is uh, how do you help 
these different audiences that will come to this portal to self-select what kind of solution they need. And there's some of this, uh, and this, um, some of this is around technical solutions and your capabilities. Some of it is around problem spaces and solutions that are available for different problem spaces. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that there's, yeah. A, yeah. Hmm? a difficult problem in, in labeling, I think, also. So I think if you if you go all the way to to the what the what the super dev wants, it is a turnoff to the other end of the spectrum yes. and vice versa. Yes. And if you have sort of this landing page, you know, going back to what hey.net with the need hey, have hey. I don't know if you remember that user uh, user experience example. <laughs> I, so you have one of those says developer. The question is, what does the other one say? And I, uh, I think that's the, I think that's the difficult part, because, you know, people tend not to identify by what they're not, like so, <laughs> non-developer. I mean, I, you know, I guess if I'm not a developer, I click that, but I definitely don't no. feel great about that. Yeah. No, I think I think it's more like solutions. Just, just, you know, like start developing and solutions. It's like, well, I'm not going to be developing, so <laughs> let's check out yeah. the solutions. Yeah. Um, but then you still need to sub-segment there because you're going to have different types of interfaces also there. Now, I think one, one of the, the eye-openers for me was that sometimes the technical solution also dictates... Uh, the type of audience that you're going to attract with it, which is really interesting. So it's, yeah. But it, it feels almost like just... What's an example of that? Uh, like the, the the widget, for example. Like a, okay. a, a developer probably will not use a widget. Like someone who's like really into stuff, you'll, well, unless they're really time constrained. But like a, a website builder... Or like a, a business owner who who's built their own websites, they'll just they'll they can only use a widget. That's that's all they can use. So I want to challenge that a little bit because mm -hmm. in the example that Adam gave earlier about his weekend project, which made me feel bad because I mowed the grass and worked on taxes, and, uh, <laughs> he's he's you know doing something really cool. And, and, but also the, the, the example that uh, you just gave, uh, I think for me, it really comes down to one dimension is definitely technical skill. But that's probably, to think about it from a single dimension is probably the wrong, wrong way. It, it's probably uh, also how core is this to what you're doing and what kind of dependency does it create for you? So if uh, I'm thinking of cases where as a developer, there's something on the edge that we need to do, we don't want to do, uh, there's a widget for that and they grab the widget and they're super technical, but you know, they're okay to use the widget because it, it fits their, it fits their needs so well. And you know, developers will tell you over and over, 
we became developers because we're lazy and we don't like to do things twice, which um, <laughs> they'll also tell you that it's not until I wrote the same code for the third time that it was really good. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, um, I, I, I think that um, probably need to think about this from a multidimensional way. And I'm wondering what all those dimensions might be, but, you know, we've got two now. So yeah. there's, you know, level of technical skill and then there's, um, you know, how, how core or, you know, how, how dependent is your solution on your success? There's also like, what kind of integration does this have to have with your application? Because you might want to have a very light integration where, you know, it's just triggering the next step and then you're doing something else. Or you might want to have like a very deep integration where information actually gets transferred. Uh, and both could be features. Uh, you know, my, it might look like it's always better to have more data, but sometimes you want less data, which is interesting. One one thing that we talked about in the uh, in the pre-recording, as we were setting up, was um, the need to establish trust and uh, find that authentic message, and how you know w working that boundary between uh, selling your program and and, you know, not turning off your developer really hinges on the ability to find that authenticity. And I think during the recording, I think, Adam, you, you said that the, the, the first messaging and, you know, what the de developer then finds, they have to be congruent. And so I, I kind of want to uh, get back to that idea because in, in this case, I think that is really difficult, A, and B is, um, well, maybe it's difficult because, you know, we're talking about broadening kind of the, the tent to include people who wouldn't identify as developers who are going to be doing something. But, you know, in those other dimensions that we were just talking about that you just mentioned, Christoph, there's, you know, how, how deeply integrated you are and how uh, averse to things operating in a way that is uh, uh, magic versus knowing. You know, some, some, some people will uh, copy code and if it works, they're happy with it. And uh, other people, they would never do that because they have to know why it works. And if, if something looks like magic, they don't want it. But if you're, you know, working, on a weekend on a project doing something instead of taxes and mowing um, you might be just fine with some magic so yeah i don't I, think I, I answered the question i'm not sure i formed the question i think for a developer <laughs> for a developer it comes down to trade-offs and uh and and maybe that's that's the case across the board but developers have tend to have more knowledge of how they can eliminate some of those trade-offs. And it actually reminds me of a connected device kind of story from my time at SendGrid. And it was totally not like not related to SendGrid work itself. There was a, a Boulder holiday party where all of the startups would create their own Christmas tree and could decorate it however they wanted. And so the uh, the evangelism team, which I worked a lot with, was intent on being able to create 
a Christmas tree that you could correspond with over email. And they had an afternoon to do it. Like bright developer types, they should be able to do this. I said, I, I realize now this is a story that makes me look like a genius, but uh, that's okay. Uh, I said, why not go buy a Wemo plug, right? Like, so it's already set up to to be able to receive sort of webhooks and, and things, that, you know, you can connect it with Ift. <laughs> but what they wanted, like to them, what they saw there were, were trade-offs they would in how they could customize it that they weren't willing to to go with. And so for them, the project became, let's go and solder some things. We we've got right. There was, there was a whole, and I believe I went and took a nap (laughs) and the Christmas tree could not be communicated with over email because I mean, it, it was a, became a bigger project than could be done in that, in that afternoon. Now, I don't know, does that make me look like a genius or does that, you know, make me look like I was not willing or able to see that larger vision and the trade-offs that they would have to make to be able to, to achieve the outcome, you know, and it's, I think that we see those decisions and whether they are the right decisions or not for a developer to make is really not for the three of us to to determine, right? We don't have all of the context of everything going on within their company that that makes a widget not be the right solution, that that makes something deeper be a requirement. I think I think that's a meta skill. Like I'm not a developer myself, right? But I think that the meta skill of being a good developer, I think is about knowing what level of constraints uh, you should be making and taking. And I think uh, like it's this um, going beyond seeing complexity as a problem, but seeing complexity as something that's just there or that is actually an opportunity to build something that's resilient. And mm-hmm. going beyond seeing constraints as limitations, but seeing them as power tools that allow you to, to perform work. And I think that the... The, the tricky thing is that too often we see, we look at constraints and we see something that's holding us back. But if you if you really think about it, like the most creative we are when we have a lot of constraints. Like um, in French, they have this word uh, bricolé, bricolage, mm-hmm. um, which is basically like throwing a bunch of stuff together and or or like taking whatever you have and somehow make it work. It's like MacGyvering. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think this is probably the future, is understanding constraints, understanding complexity, and dealing with it appropriately, not by wishing it away, because you can't make complexity go away. It's always there. You can hide it, and then maybe maybe that's useful. Maybe that's a... Uh, and I think this is what APIs do is like hide complexity behind an interface that takes a bunch of decisions so that you, you can't go wrong. But it's, um, but I think this is, this is, this is the key skill 
is like playing with that not just saying like i want no i want no complexity i want no constraints or i want full freedom and i want something simple but like knowing when to pick what and and but how do you how do you communicate that <laughs> and i think that, that that becomes so i mean a lot of what we've been talking about is this uh developer and citizen developer or whatever whatever name we want to call mm -hmm. to the, the you know along that spectrum but even within developers, this is an issue. And I, I've talked about kind of the build versus buy question that dev tool companies have to answer for for their uh, for their audience. If it's if we're talking about a public a public API that's more infrastructure like like a Twilio or a Stripe, they have to explain that. And the natural developer tendency is to say, I can build that. And, uh, and so some of them are going to go off and make that decision based on trade-offs or based on, you know, some desire to really, <laughs> to really solve that problem themselves. And others will see that they have really interesting problems that they can, they can solve on their own. And that, that some of the other, the problems solved by the dev tools are, <laughs> are ones that they can allow someone else to solve and they could probably do a better job than they do. We, we see and this. I yeah. see that, yeah, across that whole spectrum that even can includes some low-code, no-code solutions. We, we see that in the dev portal world where developers very often are like, oh, I can build this documentation site. It's easy. Like, you know, is this some HTML? And oh, I can make this nice little React app and... And they're like, okay, but you do realize that there's a whole CMS world out there with people that have been doing this for decades. <laughs> and like, and you're going to like just replicate all of that. Okay. <laughs> so I think that's, that's something we bump into a lot. Yeah. I, I um, two, two things. Um, you know, we work in Drupal and um, a, a common story that I've heard people who've been in Drupal for a long time is that, they came to Drupal after they wrote their own CMS and PHP <laughs> with MySQL. And they said, um, whenever they were done, it was so much work. And they were like, there's a better way. And, they, yeah. and they, they went to adopt. And so the, the other piece of this that I want to pull on is I've, I've had this side quest in my career as a development manager to try to identify the different dimensions that developers work on. And I, I call them technical values. And um, I found that you get a team of uh, really bright people together. And if they don't have these magic compatible technical values that I haven't been able to fully articulate, the team doesn't click and they cannot move very well. And sometimes there's unnecessary conflict. And for an organization to be able to put out these different kinds of solutions, it, it's going to feel bad to some of those developers because it's going to rub their technical values the wrong way. And they may not even want to work on that project that the company desperately needs or could benefit from and, you know, could really be a springboard for their adoption. And then I'm, I'm wondering about on the other side, can, can a company lose cred with developers because 
some of these solutions violate, you know, these technical values that the developer holds. And, uh, you know, that's where some, something like Zapier is, you know, will continue to be, you know, part of the portfolio because uh, there are some things that, you know, for human reasons, can't be done by the company. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, one thing that we said that we wanted to get to, we one of the goals of this podcast is to help people during the coronavirus crisis and the business downturn that it's uh, it's brought about to help them find ways to continue to build value and uh, transition and be creative using this challenging time as one of those constraints that Christoph has talked about yeah. uh, to do, to do really great stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we really believe in digital, digital transformation. And I just want to ask you, is there something that you are seeing or something that you're trying to do, you know, that that's interesting with regards to the crazy time that we live in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, in general, technology has not been hit hit as hard as some other areas. And that's something that I remind myself of and remember to have a little, little bit of gratitude and likely someone, unless they're in an industry that directly serves, you know, travel or others that kind of, uh, that were hit hard, they're probably in a, in a better spot. But I think even, I mean, some of the hardest hit could in this new normal that is emerging and, and there's a, you know, I would say now there is a new normal that's ready to be served and that even some of the hardest hit could have opportunities. If you look at, at square, if you'd asked me on April 1st, how I thought Square was going to handle having millions of customers who just are not taking orders anymore. I I would have said, wow, that's that's really, really bad. And I haven't I haven't looked to see how how they are weathering that, but I do know that they responded with this kind of online cart setup for millions of customers that had no concept of an online presence beyond perhaps a website that you're then able to go and, and order online and to be able to turn that around in a short amount of time to be able to enable those businesses to weather this is to me a great story. And as I think about open table, which was one of the first ones we, we heard about where, you know, you have reservations going to nearly zero overnight, like their, you know, their entire business, I could see possibilities now that we're starting to open up here in Portland and it's opening up in a very slow, uh, methodical manner. And you have, you have my, the coffee shop that I used to go to every single day and spend several hours there. They now have six tables. I mean, that's, that's the maximum they can do. So now a coffee shop that had no concept of reserving anything might actually become in a spot where, where I mean, there could be millions and millions of more companies that 
you know, of restaurants, of cafes that need to have reservations that had no need for an open table before. So those are just two examples on like super hard hit areas. But if you think about your own industry, I mean, I think that there are, are those opportunities in, in many, many areas. And, you know, we, we have seen, I mean, you've seen Zoom become a, a household name overnight. Didn't expect my entire family to know. I mean, I've been using it for years, but suddenly they're using it as a verb. And business is built on providing additional services on top of Zoom. And I think from an API perspective, this one's really interesting because it it's a test for Zoom to see if they're really a real platform. I mean, there are, I saw one of ways of reorganizing the, the actual video, the actual video, like where the videos are located. A lot of stuff on kind of note-taking, the sorts of things that if you're someone at Zoom, you might say, oh, that was on our roadmap or that could be on our roadmap. But are they in a spot where they're, where they're going to allow this platform to really build to its, to its fullest success. And from my perspective, I think that is to allow these companies to, to build these things Mm -hmm. and to know that, yeah, that there's, there's a, in combining, in combining forces, there will be greater things built. And I think we can, we can do that across, across the, the industries with with APIs. Hmm. Very wise words. I, I think you 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 also you shared a blog post that you did to help people develop content because I think this is the other thing that I've seen some people do is like, well, I I don't know what the autumn will bring. I'm very hopeful about the vaccine, but I think it's going to take a while more lockdowns might follow yeah. and and what i've seen some people do is is then amp up their marketing and like and don't get me wrong with the earlier comments i i strongly believe in the value of marketing you had some content out there that could help people with their developer marketing could you maybe give a short pitch about that yeah yeah so yeah and that's you know of the things i've seen so those examples i just gave are kind of forward looking what i've what I've seen people doing in this kind of quarantine time is there's definitely been kind of hunkering down and being and planning and being more strategic. And a couple of the places where I have seen that have been in. So this idea of signature content is, uh, is what you're referencing and the developer content mind trick, which is the post on heavy bit that I wrote about being able to describe exactly how a developer would build the dev tool or API that you provide. And to really going back to that sharing knowledge, you're sharing all of your knowledge about this with the hope at the end of that, that they say either that's really hard. Let me have you do it for us, or you are really smart about this. So let me have you do it for us. Or that third one, which is, you know, you've shown it all to me and you've helped me a lot. I'm convinced I can build it. So I'm going to go off and build it. And 
that person likely will not would not have been a buyer in one of those first two circumstances anyway. And at this at the same time, you have still shown yourself as an expert in whatever that topic is to that third person who, when someone comes to them and says, Hey, you, you built this, uh, you know, this flagging system uh, to use the launch darkly example, which is in the, in that post, you know, how, how can I do that? They would say, Oh yeah, well, I did build that for, you know, these trade-off reasons that, (laughs) that I have as a developer, but you should probably just use launch darkly. And so then they, they actually can still become an advocate of, of what you do, even though they didn't become a buyer. So yeah, I believe strongly in the, in sharing knowledge and, and finding those, those core pieces where you can, where you can do that through signature content and really pull those, uh, those right developers in, and then you can help them. It's always a bit of a vulnerable thing though to share to share your secret sauce and it's um like we we got uh, approached about a workshop about developer experience and and then the comment was like yeah you share so much stuff this is so awesome that you're you're just putting it all out there and sometimes we are in, uh, like between between the founders sometimes we're like we're we're really you know if anybody wants to copy us like we, we basically wrote it all down for them and uh, how what's your take on that like i have my answer but what's i want i'm curious to hear your answer to it yeah i think i think there's there's definitely a a line that you would walk there you know unless you're an open source company you're not going to completely open you know, open, give all the code to everything that you've done to solve something. So that's a, that's a line, right? You're telling them how, how to approach it, maybe how to architect it, but not how to build everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, so I, I think that there are, it could, that sort of piece would be, would be too long if absolutely every bit of detail and, you know, every measurement of that secret sauce were in it. But the idea is to, to give beyond a taste, right. To give a, a full serving of, of what <laughs> the complexity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, and recognize that, that, I mean, there has to be a little bit of faith in it being more positive outcomes than, than the negative outcome when someone goes and, yeah and built it. I, I, I think that um, this is, this has been a great conversation and I realize we're running up to a hard stop that you have, but I, I just want to uh, amplify something that you said earlier that I, resonates with me. And that's the idea that some of the resilience that we're talking about and some of the strength that we're talking about comes not from what a company does within, but rather the relationships that they're building. And I know, you know, at, at Pronovix, we, you know, value sharing and contributing to the community very strongly. And we feel very supported uh, by, you know, the work that we've done. And there have been times when it's been taken advantage of. And, you know, th- there are 
there are givers and takers and you're going to have plenty of people who are only takers. But, um, you know, I, I think that in this, um, in this crisis time that we're in and, um, the conversation that we've had about these developer journeys and, uh, helping people out, it's, it's, um, you know, really important for people to, uh, look at um, this as an opportunity for them to create some of those relationships, those business relationships, the partnering relationships that an API program, program can help to facilitate. And, um, you know, some of the examples that you gave were really great examples of companies doing innovative things to take, not from a, like a war profiteering, you know, take on the coronavirus, but responding to the need and uh and seizing the opportunity and i think that's really encouraging and uh you, you've got a uh, a very positive outlook that i am personally feel very glad that we were able to have this conversation with you excellent it's been been great to be part of it great to to reconnect with you both likewise i uh here's to meeting soon again <laughs> yeah <laughs> Like I'm missing Portland's, that's for sure. So thanks again. And uh, thanks to our audience for uh, listening to this. Uh, again, if you want to check out more about Adam and the work that he's doing, you can go to everydeveloper.com and uh, look him up on Twitter at Adam D, A-D-A-M-D. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the API Resilience Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts for our latest episodes. If you want to share your comments with us, you can email us at podcasts at And until next time, be well.